from KQED. Did you have an unhappy childhood? No, no, I had a wild teenage years. They were skating on a razor's edge, basically. And at really at any moment, things could have gone very terribly wrong for me. They didn't. I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm Rachel Myro. I'm Polly Stryker. And this is Love in the Digital Age. Today, a story about a teenage girl who goes on a wild ride and the mother who follows after her. And wouldn't let her go. Some of this next story resonates with me. I mean, I can remember going into my friend's parents' liquor closet and pouring out drinks and then putting water, <laughs> putting water in the bottles to, so maybe they wouldn't notice. I remember creating a concoction that caused one of my sisters to throw up after consuming <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, we, we all experiment. What inspired this segment for me, Polly, was, was knowing a couple of people in my social circle, parents who are really, really struggling with their teenage daughters. It's not something that's unique to the digital age, but some kids have a rough time of it, and as a consequence, their parents have a rough time of it. Well, in the digital age just adds sort of a fifth dimension to kind of a wild child Anyway, I I wonder what my teenage years might have been like had I had social media at my fingertips. One mom in Berkeley, we'll call her Donna, found herself caught up in a high-stakes game of cat and mouse with her daughter, Cindy, starting in middle school when she was 13. To protect the family, we've changed the names. I was in the car, and I looked over. My daughter was in the front seat, and... She was holding her phone. You know, she kind of scrolled through. But, um, well, your first thought is, why is there a male torso on my child's phone? And then um, I thought to myself, oh, gosh, it's, you know, this is happening. I got to tell you, Rachel, as a mom, I've seen a lot of stuff written about this, but there is no personalized playbook for this stuff. I would see sometimes text conversations that would be between her and someone that I didn't know, and I assume actually that she didn't know. If I could ever really see the whole gist of a conversation, I would gather that the person on the other side was a boy or a man who eventually would kind of lead the discussion to something sexual, and then it seems like she would kind of stop. Donna was checking Cindy's phone on a weekly basis, looking for stuff like this. But Cindy was deleting anything sexual, anything that would spark a lecture or worse, grounding. And so it took some time for Donna to fully understand what she was up against and to fully understand the severity of Cindy's depression. My depression came in like waves. So I'd be like sitting here watching TV and I'd be like, oh, it's all fine. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, wow, like why am I even alive? She's looking back on this experience after a lot of therapy. Cindy was an anxious kid. And when she hit middle school and felt socially excluded by the girls, it was kind of a mean girl situation at the school she was at, she sought out boys. I really wanted attention. And I didn't really care how people thought of me. And so it was like, I'm going to text this guy a million times until he finally stops replying, and then I'll find the next one. And if that meant 
reeling them in with sexually charged photos and conversation, that's what she did. It's so easy to just, you know, snap the picture and send it. You know, it takes nothing. I mean, outwardly, she's a bright, beautiful kid. There's really no reason for her to be depressed or anxious, but some people are. Cindy fell in with a couple of girls who were cutting themselves, and worse, cutting themselves competitively with each other. They look like what they are, razor cuts, so they're very thin and precise, but they can get a little deep. I know, it's, it's horrible. And then unbeknownst to Donna, um, Cindy got into the cocktail cabinet and started playing around with alcohol. Let me guess. She took a little bit from each bottle and made jungle juice, the kind of thing her parents wouldn't notice. Exactly. It's a gross concoction, but it gets the job done. Unfortunately, high school didn't go as well as we had hoped for her. By her sophomore year, she had gotten with, again, a group that was kind of fringe, not exactly um, motivated in school, and they were smoking a lot of pot. Stepping back a bit here, yeah. we're all of an age, you know. Yeah. We grew up at a time when a little bit of smoking <laughs> wasn't considered too bad, mm -hmm. you know. Why was this different? Why did this feel different? Everything that Cindy did would go from zero to 100. By sophomore year, Cindy was smoking, by her own estimate, eight to nine joints a day. And then drinking on top of that. Did Donna ever really clamp down on Cindy? She really thought that if she punished me, I'd, I'd hurt myself. She was scared that something terrible like that would happen. But it was more than that, Polly. The phone was a surveillance device for Donna. This was a way for her to keep tabs, however limited, on Cindy. It was Halloween, and there was, um, again, a negotiation. I want to go to this party. It's at, like, kind of this preppy kid's house. Everyone's going. I remember it was raining that night. So Donna drops Cindy off at the party and goes home. But then she proceeds to watch Cindy's location following that little blue dot as it moves along Telegraph Avenue, which is not where the party was. Probably trying to score something. I kept texting, where are you? And she kept telling me, oh, at this other party, and I could see the little dot <laughs> moving around. I said, you know, I'm just coming to get you. Was there any part of you that, that thought, you know, all right, I'm disappointing my mom, that's one thing, but that where you just thought, you know, this is a roller coaster and I need to get off it? No, that's when I was like, I need to find better parties. <laughs> Things started to go downhill. Um, it just went downhill really fast. And I realized again from looking at her phone that she was financing her pot use by selling it. You know, at a certain point, you have to reach for outside help. Did Donna do that? Oh my gosh, did she do it. Talk therapy, antidepressants, more than one, dialectical behavior therapy. A common form of therapy used for kids who cut. Which involved classes for both Cindy and Donna. And it wasn't just myself, it was my husband. It was, at this point, we have a team of people who are trying to help her. Nothing they could do in Berkeley seemed to be working. So they got Cindy to agree to go to the other side of the country for two and a half months 
for what's called a wilderness therapy program. It's basically an intervention. Cindy was separated from everything, her friends, her drugs, her iPhone. I didn't need it as much as I thought that I did. I mean, there were people to talk to. Like, I was never without people. I think that was the biggest thing I needed a cell phone for, was to be with people. Technology aside, one of the biggest positives about the wilderness therapy was that Cindy was forced to come clean with herself and with her family. I probably shouldn't have trusted her as much as I did. Wow, that's a really hard thing to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will never not regret the pain that I caused my mother. Like, I always knew that she loved me. She cared enough to repeatedly go through these things with me and not give up. Cindy's really lucky. She gets to reboot her life. She does. But she's also really lucky she got the parents she did. This family wasn't willing to let her go down that dark path alone. Are you a parent? Are you a child? Do you have a story that you feel we need to tell? We've got a second season coming up, and the stories are your stories. So contact us. Love in the digital age at kqed.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Now, I have to admit, I use Downcast. Many of you will be using other apps. But here's the thing. If you subscribe on iTunes, it gives us a bump. If you write a review, good, bad, indifferent, it's something that we can follow to get a sense of who's listening. Put finger to keyboard, please. Please, please, please. Well, this is the point in the podcast where we thank the people who have made Love in the Digital Age possible, starting with KQED, our home station here in San Francisco. Special thanks to our engineer, Danny Bringer, our senior producer, Victoria Malione, and our executive producer, Holly Kernan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.